Hello, Acaville Radio. Welcome to another episode of Talkapella. I am one half of your host, Brian Alexander. And I am your other co-host, John Lampus. Nice. John, I actually tried to going? do it well that time. Yeah. I didn't try to just like <laughs> say the word noodles or bring up Game of Thrones. I know, but our listeners have gotten so used to, you know, those kind of quirks and Okay, you want you want to know what's on my mind then, Brian? You want to know what's on my mind? I just watched I Batman Returns for the first time. I'm feeling really weird. Danny Ooh. DeVito's the penguin. He's riding a rubber duck. And I just, it's, <laughs> this is like coming through all aspects of my life right now. I'm really thrown off. But you know what? I'm glad to be here today to talk acapella just to recenter myself before I go into I'm, the weekend. Good. I'm glad you got that little energy boost from <laughs> Batman. So a I little, can, I can already a feel fit. it. well good john it's always good to discuss acapella things with you so yes this is great so we have a wonderful guest with us today we have a really big guest actually joining us as a a member of the d capellas disney's capellas production team we have none other than charlie friday charlie how's it going hey great thanks for having me guys absolutely good good. thanks for coming on to the show man this is really exciting for us we know that d capella has been making waves for a little bit of time now in the aka space and so this is awesome that we have you on the show to just kind of give us the behind the scenes look at the group so thanks yeah yeah and fun fact charlie's wife amanda corneglia is the one of the producers on this show she edits everything and makes us sound good so this was super nice i was sitting at dinner with her for acaville stuff and she's like yeah do you want my husband to come on he's a sound engineer for decapella and like he's done all this other stuff and i was like yes (laughs) yes i would I think that's, you know, not a bad idea. No, there was no way we were passing up this chance. <laughs> not <here>. at all. <laughs> John, I just want to point out, I saw Batman Returns like 25 years ago. The first week it was in the theater. I'm still thrown off by it. So that's normal. Yeah, it's like I'm a huge Batman fan. And I thought the, the 1989 one was like, okay, it's of its time. It's a little weird. But then watching this, I'm just like watching it on a Tuesday night. And it's just a strange, yeah. just a, it was just a strange decision <laughs> on my part. And I'm just trying to reconcile it and I don't think I ever will and my anxieties come out really it's in the first like two minutes of acapella each week it's just when I spout whatever's on my mind and then Brian's like all right so this is a show about acapella <laughs> right so and then bit. then he gets us back on but I'm glad you are on my wavelength hey we always have to have our pop culture tangent you know to yes. open up so I'm not, I'm not <laughs> upset uh anyway now on cue let's get back to acapella uh so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Charlie <laughs> Uh, can you tell us just like a bit about yourself and your acapella career? Sure. I uh, first started acapella singing in 1993, singing doo-wop and barbershop in my small ensemble at nice. in high school when I was a freshman. Started my own group before I was out of high school. We wanted to do more pop stuff. Fueled by uh, definitely one of my choir buddies, his brother went to, I think, Middlebury and brought mm. home a college acapella CD and that lit our mm. brains on fire. <laughs> As it would. And then I uh, kept doing it in uh, college. I studied opera in college through master's level. Hey, hey, same. It was in a bunch of groups, started a bunch of groups. I was not a serial starter. I would help people start groups and then not be in them while I was in my group. Afterwards, I kind of took... Seri- I really like the phrase yeah. serial starter. <laughs> I kept singing after college as a professional classical vocalist in the D.C. area. Worked at a, as a cantor at a church, did some opera things here and there and uh finally realized i missed singing pop acapella so i I got back into the community joined euphemism at some point euphemism realized i owned some microphones because my previous group from high school and college had had our own sound system and started running sound for euphemism at our gigs and then people came to our gigs and were like hey you guys sound really good will you bring those microphones to our show and we kind of grew the business organically out of that i know that Mm. sounds a little hackneyed but um (laughs) 
That, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like you grew a business. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it just I, I'm, I'm in a place right now where I never expected to be, and it's awesome, and I love working in audio. I'm not just acapella. I mix big bands, rock bands, mm-hmm. Clear Harmonies does a lot of studio work, podcast production, all that kind of stuff. So we have, it's all, we just like to, I like to do everything vocal, and then yeah, everything live also. And then I've done a bunch of work with, with pretty much all of the pro acapella groups I've mixed at some point or another as they've been traveling around. Worked with Deke on several projects, Vocalocity for a little bit, his total vocal show at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been running that for like the last five years, I think. When the position for Deke Capella opened up, Deke called me and I was very thrilled to do that. And uh, that's kind of where we are at the moment. Wow. So that's quite the background. And yeah. uh, I'm curious if we can kind of back up just a little bit. When, oh, sure. when was the first, I guess, moment that you realized, okay, I I have a knack for this sound engineering. I have a knack for making voices sound even better than they already do or enhancing the the quality. I think it was the first college show that I ran. I, I got a, a call from one of the other groups in DC. His name is Mike. He ran he used to run sound for a few college groups just here and there, not nearly the the level the the number of shows that we tried to do. He would just kind of pick it up here and there. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh hey, you know, my kid's sick. I'm supposed to be doing the show at University of Maryland. Um, this weekend would you be able to do it? And I was like, kind of looked in my garage at what equipment I had. I was like, yeah, that we can do that. And so I went and they had budgeted for two people to be there. He would usually bring like a helper. Mm. And so I just asked one of my buddies to come. John, he was in euphemism at the time. And uh, after the show, he was like, you know, Charlie, you, you're really good at this. You should think about like doing this. <laughs> and I was kind of like, really? <laughs> because I just, it's definitely something that I have, that I, not to sound too over the top, but I, I've definitely found that I have a knack for it. Yeah. Post to studio stuff, which I do not have a knack for mm. <laughs> studio stuff never came easily to me i love mm-hmm. the process mm-hmm. but making the final product polished is not something that i in my wheelhouse and it seems really intense I like the vibrancy of live music of all types. I like the fact that I get to go and help as a performer enhance other people's performances. Yeah. Because that's really what it's about. It's it's not about me. It's about the people on stage. Right. And it's about elevating what they're doing. They create the moments. I can't create a moment. Only they can create a moment, but I can help them get it to a little higher level. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I really like that too. And I think that's a really good question you asked, Brian, about when did you realize this? Because thinking back to, Charlie, what you talked about in, you know, you started doing vocal performance stuff and that's what you studied in undergrad when I first started singing it was I didn't really have a knack for anything but I liked the feeling of how my voice sounded in the room and I enjoyed creating that kind of energy and those sounds so I'm really curious as someone who you know the most I do is edit podcasts I'm really curious what is almost the enjoyment or how is the enjoyment kind of like framed or what do you feel when you engineer sound really effectively when it's live I'm curious how does that make you feel and what is what makes that a satisfying experience I think definitely for me i always joke that rehearsal is my favorite part of the process which i know is not most people's <laughs> yeah but for, for me rehearsal is where the magic happens that's where the creativity happens mm-hmm. that's where things come together things can happen on stage that vibe and and are sort of spontaneous but in larger productions it's got to be pre-planned mm-hmm. so once you get into the performance it's actually for example on the on the decapella tour like our performance is incredibly rigidly structured and there were a few moments where the cast was allowed to or not allowed to but had the opportunity to sort of step out and show their personality in a bit more of an organic way but because of the nature of the production it was very tightly timed and controlled mm-hmm. i definitely think that for me when everything's i know when everything's working right and there's something good happening on stage even as jaded as i am i still get goosebumps sometimes mm. 
and that's when everything's kind of not to use this word in a punny manner but like harmoniously working together mm-hmm. you know the the group is in lock they're vibing with the audience all the all the technical factors are in place and you just kind of get into a zone gotcha that's a really good place to be it should feel like mm-hmm. yeah and i've had that moment even with college groups where where they just all of a sudden most of the college groups that i work with are are of the the more i want to say like hobby level where they enjoy competing they enjoy doing their shows but ultimately they're not trying to be a top tier college group and they don't want to be a top tier college group right mm-hmm. but every so often they will just find their groove on a song and it's like yep that that's what we want right there it's just a really good feeling yeah and it's satisfying for you as one of the architects as to make that happen it's more satisfying for me to i think less that and i think more that i'm part of providing this experience for the people mm. on stage or the people in the audience cool for college groups are and high school groups all the academic groups we work with and even some of our adult clients that are not professional clear harmonies and my stance has always been like we are providing a good experience mm. because you're not really even no matter how many people video the concert or how many people stream it it's very rare that anyone's actually going to go back and listen to that but they're going to remember what they felt like during the show yeah well said and if that's a yeah. good feeling then we've done our job same thing for work studio recording like i was talking to one of my buddies who was in a, a really good group in new york when he was in college and we were talking about recording sort of policies or recording recording theory and i was like well yeah you, you guys recorded a cd in casual harmony right he's like yeah yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm like, when was the last time you listened to it? <laughs> He's like, oh, I never listened to it. <laughs> and I said, when was the last time you picked it up off the shelf and looked at the pictures and the thing and remembered how much fun you had making it? He's like, oh, like last week. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, I think that's what's, that's what we're trying to promote. And that's what we're trying to preserve is that experience. And that's, that's what's special about acapella music. I mean, anyone can make a technically perfect recording if they have a microphone and enough patience, but you might not have a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Or have it be a rewarding experience. And what and, and I don't necessarily be fun, but just rewarding. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well said. And Charlie, one of the things you mentioned, you mentioned rehearsals being a really big element to getting this whole experience down. And I want to kind of pick your brain for a second because I know we've had a lot of different guests on our shows, but I don't know if we've had one who comes to us with the experience that you've had in sound mm-hmm. engineering and rehearsals are key and vital to any music group but I think they're even more important when we started talking about rehearsals for live shows a lot of collegiate groups you know they're up and coming they're learning they're trying to figure out you know what to do right what what they might need to enhance what they need to do differently how it feels yeah yeah and I'm just curious you know for you what is key during a rehearsal to kind of get down say a group they're getting ready they only have one one rehearsal one technical rehearsal before a show to actually work with audio and what in your mind stands out this is what must be hit in order or this is what I look at as being vital to making sure a show goes off well what what should they be keeping in mind as they have that technical rehearsal okay so first of all I'm gonna make I'm gonna answer that question but first of all I'm gonna make a distinction between a technical rehearsal and a sound check okay Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Groups that do bring us in for a technical rehearsal, we can do so much more mm. with them. Day of is usually sound check time, which is getting everyone comfortable on stage, making sure everyone's holding the microphone properly, making sure everyone knows what microphone they're supposed to have for what song, if there's any changes or anything like that, making sure everyone knows what number to pick up. And that actually is conflated a lot with college groups, in mm-hmm. my experience, where they're trying to have a rehearsal and a sound check simultaneously. Oh, good point. Yeah. And yeah. those are two distinct things. And so mm-hmm. what we always try to do is say, okay, we have an hour for sound check. Let's have the first 10 minutes of this be really focused, 
technical checks. Let's let me get done what I need to get done on my end. And then you guys do your rehearsal on stage because that's usually what mm-hmm. they've been <laughs> they've they've planned for it to be the same thing yeah um and they need to work out their spacing and stuff and we always encourage groups if they have the ability to go into the space before the concert even if we're not there they can work out all that spacing and spiking tape and everything like that before we mm-hmm. get there and then allows us more time mm-hmm. but if we have a technical rehearsal there's several groups in the dc area and a couple out of out of state that we've worked with long enough that we've managed to work in a technical rehearsal before their concerts and what that allows us to do is kind of have a couple hours to sit there and be like, all right, how do you want this song to feel? Hmm. How do you want this song to feel? Do you want hmm. do you want this song to be really heavy on the low end? Do you want to have this song be really ambient sounding? Because those things, they all take time. Mm-hmm. But things to focus on, if we're talking just your average, your normal college show, and you're trying to do a sound check and a technical rehearsal at the same time, <laughs> which is which <laughs> is honestly unlikely. the normal situation. <laughs> yeah. What I always recommend is the best thing, top three things that you can do. Number one is practice with water bottles or other mic stand-ins oh. for like a week or two beforehand because that is the biggest that's the only thing i can't help with is if you're not holding the mic right Mm -hmm. i can't do anything so there is a benefit to practicing with water bottles yeah full water bottles is there a certain brand or yeah i mean i recommend full water bottles because then you get used to the weight of the microphone because a full 12 ounce water bottle is about the same weight as a wireless mic um and it is a little heavier than most people think so that's the first one second one think about how you want the song to be presented because i have groups even if they want to just assign a color to each song (laughs) like this song's red this song's blue this song's green that at least will give me like a roadmap to the concert Mm -hmm. to where i can say okay these two songs are red and they just let me decide what red is Mm-hmm. you know in in my space and then but i know those two songs they want to be in the same space like sonically okay gotcha right? that's really interesting and then the third thing is like really just make sure all of the other crap that's surrounding the concert because we know all these college groups and high school groups they're putting the concerts on themselves yeah mm-hmm. make sure all that stuff's taken care of mm-hmm. make sure you know who's doing the posters who's doing the you know unlocking the dressing room for the visiting group get some friends to come help you because the worst thing that can happen is that people keep getting pulled away from the soundtrack mm-hmm. you know yeah. and i'll have a, I'll have a fourth it's kind of like an addendum because not all groups do this but i always i tell the groups i don't actually mix during soundcheck because they're going to give me something different during the show really because they're not professionals and they haven't run the show 50 times before the the show Mm -hmm. right yeah with decapella and other professional groups that i've worked with when we've had extended rehearsals before a tour i know what they're going to give me when they get on stage so i don't have to worry about managing their volume in the same way that i would have to worry about managing a college group's volume Mm -hmm. the best thing in that situation is to and oftentimes they'll have you know the music director or someone i'm sure you guys have seen it will come out in the audience during soundcheck and be like um could you make the alto too louder and i'm like no because they're going to sing differently during the show and you need to get back up on stage and practice (laughs) (laughs) so like that (laughs) yeah i mean i mean i understand the inclination to do that Mm -hmm. but it's at the end of the day, once the show starts, I'm in charge yeah. of what the audience is hearing. Yeah. So they and if and my job, they've hired me for my taste and they have hired me for my skill. I'm not going to be thinking about the notes they gave me during soundcheck when I'm reacting to stuff in a live environment. Yeah. So you basically yeah. prefer, I guess, unless they've given you clear instructions on this is the aim of what we're going for with this song. We want it to be super low end. We want, you know, this kind of voicing to kind of stand out. You pretty much like, hey, this is I'm running it for you guys. Yeah. That's what you typically prefer as a sound engineer. Yeah, it, well, it's, and it's going to be, I have some distance from the music. I can, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. that requires trust, though. I mean, the, the whole relationship between a performer and sound engineer requires a lot of trust. Right. And they have to understand that, yes, they've hired me to work for them 
and I'm going to do the best job that I can for them. But at the end of the day, once the show starts, that aspect is entirely under my control. And it's better to give me like broad strokes, like we want to see this song feel like this, or these three songs feel like this, Mm -hmm. than to give me like, oh, the tenor two needs to be higher on measure 64 of the Mm -hmm. the fourth fourth song, you know, because that kind of granularity is not going to come through. I mean, and that's not notwithstanding like cue sheets where solos are moving around and stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like really getting into like the nitty gritty of balance minutia, and stuff like yeah. that, which is something that's, it's dynamic. And that that's really the, that dynamism is the, is what I love about live music is that you could have even a group like Take Six or Decapella every time they sing a song, it's going to be slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I'm just, I'm just mesmerized right now. Just like hearing all this <laughs> stuff. And I wish I was back in college because I was totally oh, that no. annoying guy. I'd go up to the sound people like, yeah, the bass needs to be louder. You need to do this. You need to do this. And I think this is, this information you're giving us here, Charlie, is so valuable, I think, to yeah, it is. young and Thanks. upcoming people in acapella and also just like everyday people in groups who, for them, like you said, they don't know the difference between a sound check and a technical rehearsal. And to them, the idea of singing with microphones is super scary. And all of these kind of big ideas that really we don't deal with in rehearsal regularly. Like you said, I'm dealing in rehearsal with the 10 or 2s need to be louder, measure 64. I'm dealing with that minutia, so it totally makes sense I'd bring that baggage or my kind of thoughts about that into what seems to me like a rehearsal just with some other people up near the top in front of a board and so that's I think really important for people to understand and just like hear everything you just said internalize it and just get a better sense for what your job is and how they can better not necessarily serve you but coordinate with you to make sure you have the autonomy you need and that they're also giving you the proper not guidance but just the proper ideas that you will kind of create for them yeah and understanding that when you hire an acapella engineer it's a collaboration Mm mm-hmm Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the most important part of the dynamic between the performers and the engineer. That's not, and again, it's, it's an unbalanced collaboration where they definitely, client first, at the end of the day, if the client wants X, we will do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with them about how they want it to sound because it's their product. But there is, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't give me any guidance, I'm just going to do what I think sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> or or the right type of guidance. And we've we've talked about in previous shows kind of the feeling of music, and we talked a lot. And I think it was our last show about emotions. And and one of the things we brought up is I remember back in my collegiate group, I was so hard pressed on you know trying to get the group to kind of convey a certain feeling mm-hmm. or. Yeah, to yeah. kind of acquire a s- certain type of feeling from the music but it never occurred to me that that was what should have been communicated to an engineer at the end of the day because we didn't really look at it as this is a person who's going to be an extension of our group yeah. for a performance we only looked at it as okay here's a person that kind of controls this technical aspect off to the side so it's it's super critical the things that you're talking about delivering a feeling and um, conveying that to the people who are working with you uh, especially in the sound engineer space so this is like i'm learning so much and like i'm yeah yeah, i'm gonna listen back to this in like five years and like whenever i'm doing stuff with a group and just be like okay what did you say about okay don't do that (laughs) we actually got to take a quick break we're going to be right back here on tacapella with myself brian alexander and charlie friday so stay tuned and we're gonna be right back 
All around the world, there are amazing acapella concerts going on all the time. You can't be to all of them, but that's what we're here for. So catch Friday Night Live every Friday at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, where we bring you live concerts from all around the world. You can be there in spirit, even if you couldn't make it in person. And you can catch them again on Rebroadcast Sunday at 11.15 a.m. East, 8.15 a.m. West, and 12 hours later, be there. And welcome back to Tacapella. Thanks for tuning back into the show. Uh, wow, we've had a wonderful guest on today. We've had Charlie Friday, big time uh, sound engineer. I feel you like know? I'm back in class in a I good know. way. <laughs> a little bit. I'm like, we've had a lot of learning and educating going on in this episode, talking mm-hmm. about kind of the technical aspects of sound engineering, uh, maybe some things that groups should keep in mind, you know, the difference between a uh, technical rehearsal mm-hmm. and just a sound check. I'm like, even I learned that today. So Charlie yep. has been enlightening us for sure. So... Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit. So one of the, the big projects that Charlie is involved with is D Capella. And man, have we got some questions for you about D Capella. So just yeah. to kind of, yeah. Tell us how Rise of Skywalker ends. Tell um, us now. I know I it ends with Kylo Ren getting redeemed. Oh, I, but, okay, I value living, so maybe we'll hold off. I wouldn't want to no, know. I wouldn't want to know. I don't actually want to know. I just wanted the thrill of saying it on air. Okay. We're glad you could get that in. Um, so just to kind of kick it off, you know, just from a basic standpoint, you know, in terms of audio production, what makes D Capella different from some of the other uh, shows you've yeah. worked on? You know, is there a, a special, is there any special things that go into the process in terms of preparation? or executing the show yeah I, I can go into that it, it could get a little technical if you guys aren't afraid of that <laughs> no, no we bring it on <laughs> um, I think it's yeah. I think it's okay okay so the big thing that differentiates decapella from other groups out there is that they are singing primarily film music hmm. okay mm-hmm. okay and that yeah. is a very different genre of music than when you really drill down into it than pop music like what pentatonix yeah. is doing gospel what or jazz or even any of the any of the fusion of any of those genres. The big thing that's different about it is the range. And I don't mean the range of the singing, like I don't mean the note range. Mm-hmm. I uh-huh. mean like both the range of emotions like, that you have to cover with film music and also the, di- the dynamic range. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay. They're constantly ping-ponging between a, a song that's like an upbeat pop tune or a big band tune all the way down to this ballad that makes people weep. Okay. And mm-hmm. to constantly be yeah. shifting back and forth there, that's a big challenge, both for the performers and to sort of manage all departments, uh, not just audio, but all, all departments, lighting and video, to manage that those transitions. It's very carefully coordinated. But from a technical aspect also, what that means is that I really need to compress them less. Mm than I would a normal group. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you think about, I'm going to make a visual thing here that you guys can see, but the audience can't. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like making a line with my hand. So if you think about mm-hmm. a pentatonic show, which is great, I've seen them like six times. Mm-hmm. Their sound kind of is like this the whole time. Straight line. Right? It's like this. Okay. I mean, there's little bumps up and down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as mm-hmm. they do like a ballad, but it's, it's pretty, it's big and it's fat and it's full and it's awesome. And it's a great concert experience. Pretty uniform. But it's, it's very... Steady? Yes, steady. Steady is a great word. It's very steady in terms of what they're presenting. Mm -hmm. Now, decapella is like this, Mm. like up and down. Zigzag. Right. Right. Okay, and it's not going up and down randomly. Mm -hmm. Like we're definitely choosing the moments, the the creative team is choosing the moments to go up and down. 
and how they're going to go up and down. And sometimes the up and down is like, this song has all seven. This song has just three of them. This song has mm-hmm. all, this song has one person and she's using a looper, but it makes it bigger than anything else they could do even with the seven they're of them. Oscillating back yeah, and forth oscillating. to the ends of the spectrum. From a technical standpoint, if they need to be occupying that huge range dynamically, that gives me less... Not less opportunity, but it gives me, it means I have to have a lighter hand with the compression on their channels. Because what the compression does is squashes their, the the oscillation of their voice into mm-hmm. a certain range, which then allows you to move the range up and down in a very controlled manner, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it also prevents you from going down here and going up here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Kind of blocks off the ends of the, the ends of the spectrum. That makes, wow. That's, I, I didn't really think of that because right. Com- compressors are kind of like aural antidepressants. That's a good way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. No, wait. That No, that totally <laughs> makes sense. It steadies mm-hmm. you and like kind of gets you into the zone, but the, the ends of the spectrum are kind of inaccessible. I'm also really curious in regards to kind of you're talking about all these unique aspects of decapella as compared to other groups. So most acapella groups kind of have what I like to call just kind of an anchor of some sort, you know, like college groups, like they are rooted in their school community. They are part of or for post-collegiate groups, maybe like girl band. They're really rooted in the Seattle community, stuff like that. And I'm really curious because those kind of anchors help define a group's identity. And I'm really curious how Decapella's identity is kind of developed when it's attached to a company. Because I feel like I'm not really used to seeing groups like that. And it's also really exciting to see how a group's creative kind of essence and identity and personality comes through something that is not just like, oh, well, I just live here. So we're going to kind of attach ourselves to this. So I'm curious, what is kind of the identity of Decapella and how has it been formed through its attachment to the greater Disney brand? Right. And that's that's a <laughs> that's a really complicated yes. question, but I'll do my best <laughs> to answer it. So I think what it comes down to is the team that Decapella has behind mm-hmm. it. And that not just the technical team or the creative team. There are a huge support staff in the office of Disney Music that's got Decapella's back that's helping, you know, with their day to day stuff, helping guide their marketing. And I think definitely the strength of that whole team is that you have all these people with all of this great experience. You've got Deke Sharon, who is, you know, <laughs> I've heard of Deke. Him. You've got Jim McCann, who has directed The Illusionists and the live show, and he's directed like Mythbusters live tour. You've got Jen Rapp, who's a renowned choreographer for off-Broadway productions and, and a bunch of other like touring acts. You've got the lighting team and the, you know, all these guys behind it. But then you've also got their equivalent in the business mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and all of those people have so much experience and the people on the business side have as much experience as Deke does in their field. And what they're doing is they're taking the raw input from the group of personality and strengths and weaknesses and likes and dislikes. And they're taking that and synergizing that with their experience and acumen. Okay. And then using that to develop the identity. So it's very much like a team effort. Could you give us like a quick example of something like that? Like something the group likes that is forms their identity through the expertise. Yeah, definitely. Their wardrobe Mm -hmm. is a great example. They have a lot of input on what they're wearing, but it is guided by more experienced people in the industry who have worked with wardrobe for pop groups, worked with wardrobe for Broadway shows and what kind of image the marketing team wants them to put out. And so they really work together and the people, the the group often says, okay, of these three, I feel like 
this fits me the best. I'm the most comfortable in this. And especially when you're talking about wardrobe for stage, like mm-hmm. they have to be comfortable in it and they have to feel confident in it. Another good example is like their interpretation of songs. Mm-hmm. They're not dictated on how to interpret songs and interpret leads. That's a collaboration with Deke. Hmm. He'll bring the song to them. They'll learn it. They'll work on it. They go away from Deke. They polish it up. They bring it back to Deke. He gives them notes. They make their case for certain things happening, certain things not happening. So it's that. I think that is really the essence of the group and the group's identity. It's at the core. The identity is the seven individuals of Decapella. But it's like filtered through all these people with all this expertise. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, and we're kind of talking about this whole creative control aspect. And I'm I'm curious uh, because you mentioned also Deke kind of involved with the music and you know for most of us in acapella world we know that he's a fantastic arranger and i'm, I'm curious in terms mm-hmm. of song selection is there creative control because I'm, I'm guessing there's very little if anything that uh disney does that's not intentional i'm like i'm pretty sure they know exactly we'd like to sing yeah. the theme from the black culture <laughs> exactly <please>. and i'm just <laughs> curious from um, a, a time a timeliness standpoint you know our songs if you have an insight are songs based on what's going on in the current world of disney is it there's so much to pull from from the past you know what what dictates uh, creative song control? Well, they're definitely, that's that's really outside of my okay. department. But from what I've seen, they're definitely trying to meld new Disney songs, new classics with some of the some of the old classics that we all know yeah. and love. And it's really fun because Di Capella can take those old classics and do either a faithful rendition of the old classic mm. or completely turn it on its head and do something different with oh, it. Oh, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah. Is there one that they have turned on their head that you really enjoyed? Or that's one of your favorites? So Step in Time from the original Mary Poppins is a song that is really an inherent part of that movie. And Di Capella takes it and turns it into a solo piece using a live looper Mm. one person does the entire song and it very much gets a sort of like house edm feel with the song it's on the album you guys should check it out and then uh, another favorite of mine is i want to be like you Mm -hmm. which on the surface if you listen to the original and you hear whatever what what's going on in the original and then you watch di capella do it or you listen to them do it they're singing a lot of the same stuff exactly as it is in the Jungle Book mm-hmm. original, but the energy they bring to it and the style they bring to it just makes it makes it pop in a very modern way. Yeah. It's very much like a modern it's it very much evokes, I think, something like Oh, um, postmodern jukebox. That song very much evokes a style like postmodern jukebox, where they're taking this classic tune and bringing it into the modern day, but still with respect for that old style. Yeah, that's what I always thought when I heard about Di Capella. I thought like, wow, there's so much just based on the inherent malleability of the acapella genre, putting that with like these classics that everyone already really loves. Like there's just, I, I remember thinking like, that's going to be creatively like insane, the opportunities. And it sounds like that's exactly yeah, what's happening. And then also it's great because it's it's also providing a vehicle for some of the newer music mm-hmm. that Disney has that mm, yeah. may be on its way to becoming a classic song. Mm-hmm. And it, it's giving... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how far I'll go. It, yeah, exactly. And it's giving some some more exposure to... It's giving some more exposure for those songs within the Disney brand. That's really helped. Uh, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and um, 
I'm curious uh, with you guys, just all the different performances and stuff. How, how often are you guys traveling? Or are you doing show roads? Um, is there a home base at yeah. all with with Disney? Uh, what what's the current production schedule like for you guys? Leading up to a tour, we'll usually have a few weeks of rehearsal prior to that, and then go out on the tour. That's really the tour encapsulation. Now, in between touring, the group's recording. They're doing a lot of work for Disney in a larger sense. They're doing promotional appearances, just trying to get the brand out there, mm-hmm. get some synergy going with some partners, you know, getting the word out about Decapella. So on one of our recent episodes with Chris Harrison from Aurora, he told us a bit about their tour experiences. And I'm just really curious, uh, and that's kind of become like a thing Brian and I really like, just hearing about stories from within the group. Uh, any entertaining, funny, kind of offbeat stories from uh, the North American tour with Decapella that you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is we had several quick changes during the show mm-hmm. uh, where people had to change co- change outfits in 30 45 seconds mm-hmm. off stage. Yeah. Kind of a challenge some nights. And one night, RJ, who sings the duet, uh, we closed the first half with I Want to Be Like You from the Jungle Book. And mm-hmm. RJ and Orlando sing that song together. RJ was unable to get one of his sneakers on in time for the song to start. Oh, man. <laughs> so, and, and remember, like, all of this is timed. So, like, mm, it, it's not like we can just... We had spaces in the show for pauses, but mm-hmm. this was not one of them. <laughs> and uh, so RJ was like, all right, I'm going on with one shoe. And so he came on and barely made it on for his entrance. And the group took it in stride. And the great thing about that was, you know, they're singing the song about I want to be like you and Orlando and he are going back and forth. And then at the climax of the song, Orlando kicks off his shoe. So he matches <laughs> RJ. Oh, <laughs> man. And so... That's I know, great. So That's he, creative. He wanted to be like him, so he he really dug into that. <laughs> Brian, we should record with only one shoe each. <laughs> oh, I, I think we got to try it now. <laughs> yeah. I think we- one of the other. This isn't so much of a story, but as as an experience. Mm-hmm. What I really liked was meeting all of the different audio technicians all across the country in these venues, mm-hmm. hearing their thoughts on the show, their feedback. A lot of people were initially not sure what actually they had been booked into the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of stereotyping with disney shows like they're for kids is it gonna mickey gonna come out you know the big costume heads like where we got asked every day where's the trunk with all the costume heads and we're like no that's mm-hmm. not that's not what this is and seeing people it, it, not so much seeing the audience get it but seeing the the jaded tech staff at every venue get it mm-hmm. and then by the end of the show be completely hooked in and enamored with the group and the production was like just such a great feeling mm-hmm. and it didn't happen every venue but it happened in most venues and and seeing them light up and be like oh i love that song and i i man i haven't listened to that song since i was like 8 and and i i wore the vhs tape out on that movie you know it's just such a great <laughs> feeling and that's really for me that's the the special part about this project was being a part of a team that's presenting this music that means so much to so many people mm-hmm. like that yeah. carries a lot of weight and a lot of responsibility with it it's like i'm not exaggerating when i say like is an honor to work on that tour yeah and i'm i'm curious with that nice. because as you mentioned i'm like there's so many nostalgic feelings that come to mind when you just think about disney but i think the added benefit with what you are a part of is that outside of pentatonics and maybe a few other groups there's really nothing like 
what you all are doing. I'm like, even with Pentatonix, this is something that's completely different. And you are a sound engineer for this. Does that kind of give you any kind of feelings, any kind of comfort knowing that, hey, I'm a part of this really cool music project that, you know, it's like pioneering. Yeah, it's, it's, it's paving like the way the for some, you know, that other people aren't doing and aren't creating. It's definitely something that I spent a lot of time thinking about it or thinking about and um, something that I talked about with Deke a lot in pre-production because I wanted to make sure, you know, Disney has a very long history with pioneering technological innovation Mm -hmm. in the entertainment space. And I wanted to make sure that what we were doing, every aspect of what we were doing was up to that standard. And it was definitely a delicate balance because you have a lot of these songs from the North American tour that were very they're classic songs and so you don't want to mess with them (laughs) you just kind of want to let them live and a lot of disney music is like that where it's just inherently so so wonderful and so so gorgeous and so deep but at the same time you do have to allow that this is a show and there has to be some variation i can't just like Mm -hmm. have one setting for the entire show um or even one setting for like one and by setting i mean like sonic palette for that song right like i really tried to say okay we can have maybe three songs have the same palette of the 25 or whatever they did in this in the tour Mm. you see making sure that we weren't putting flashy audio on stuff just to put flashy audio on stuff Mm mm-hmm and mm-hmm. making sure that the audio design supported the intent of the song while at the same time taking these songs that inherently are very, a lot of them are very, let's say, traditional in their original presentation mm-hmm. was a huge challenge because we wanted everything to feel fresh and to feel vibrant and still to feel organically like the the film music in, in most cases. But then not, not having that, like have every song feel the same mm-hmm. <laughs> was a big challenge. <laughs> totally. Well, that's a huge balancing act. And from what we can tell, you're you're killing it so far because obviously De Capella is huge. And we're just so excited that we've had the chance to have you on today to talk about this stuff, Charlie. So we're going to take one more quick break and then we're going to be right back here to wrap it up on Tacapella. Hey everybody, it's Aaron here from The Spotlight, the show that's always recorded face-to-face, always live, and always a good time. We spend at least a half an hour every week with a group or artist. We hear their backstory, hear what they're up to these days, and have some conversation while hearing them sing some live tunes. Get more in-depth with your favorite groups, and maybe some you haven't heard of, on The Spotlight every Wednesday at 5 p.m. East and 8 p.m. West, and again on Rebroadcast Sunday, it's all here on Acaville. And welcome back to Tacapella. Man, this has been fun today. Brian and I have had the chance to talk with Charlie Friday. He's just a world-class sound engineer for acapella. He does stuff with decapella. He's done stuff with pentatonics. And we've just had the chance today to pick his brain on his career, on why it feels good to be a sound engineer, the art of engineering sound, doing it live, and his experiences with decapella, which I think is just one of the coolest things in the acapella sphere right now. And man, we've just learned a lot and it's it's been a blast. So one of the traditions at the end of the show, Charlie, is we ask our guest the biggest piece of advice they would like to give to the acapella community it could be to directors it could be to just sound engineers but pose the question to you if you could give one piece of advice to the acapella community both just a part of it or a whole what would it be my advice would be addressed to the whole community mm-hmm. that advice would be don't lose touch with why you started singing in the first place that seems simple on the surface but it's something that i see a lot of groups struggling with Mm -hmm. something that my groups have struggled with and from the perspective of someone who 
you know, watches a hundred concerts a year, both professional and academic. Nothing makes me sadder, I guess would be the, would be the word, than seeing a group that really doesn't know why they're on stage doing what they're doing. They've lost that center. And it's okay. What I tell all the groups I work with, it is 100% okay to do this for fun. You don't have to have an agenda. You don't have to get on Boca. You don't have to go to the semifinals at ICCA. For adult groups, you don't have to get gigs that pay. You don't have to try to be a professional group. Mm -hmm. If you just want to get together with some of your friends and sing and have dinner, do it. You don't have to perform. You don't have to record. Figure out why you are singing and embrace that and don't forget it. I think wow. it makes sense that on an episode where we're talking about a lot of Disney stuff, we end on a very heartwarming note. So thank you for that, Charlie. I think <laughs> that's, I think that, no, that's seriously, that's really important. And it's something that gets brought up often on this show. And it's never, you know, anytime anyone says that, I'm never going to say, oh, we've heard that before. It's always relevant. No. It is always important. And especially with someone with your perspective, I think it holds a lot of weight. And I, I really hope people listen and I think they will. And, uh, I'm just going to say that was magical. <laughs> I'm just going to put that Disney out there. Disney magic. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> on brand. <laughs> Sweet. Charlie, thanks so much for coming on today. This, this has just been great. Thank you yeah, guys for having uh, me. If people want to get a hold of you, like on Twitter, see what you're all about, follow Decapella, find out what their upcoming shows are, how could they do that? Okay, well, for Decapella, everything Decapella music is very easy to find. DecapellaLive.com is the website for them. Uh, my production company is called Clear Harmonies Productions. We are based out of Washington, D.C. Uh, our website is clearharmonies.com. You can follow us on all social medias. Just search for Clear Harmonies. I am a lurker on social media. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Instagram, Charlie Fryer. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Instead of Friday. Facebook, I'm easy to find, Charlie Friday. And my Twitter, I will post. Uh, I warned you, um, my Twitter is kind of my personal space. I don't really talk about music there much. It's all retro games that all the time same. and nerd stuff. But I would love anyone who's into that, give me a follow, say hi. I just want to thank you guys for having me on Absolutely. the show today. It's been a really great experience. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. Talking and really Really fun, fun really heartwarming. That was great. Brian, where can people find you, man? As usual, you can find me on Twitter at the Brian Alex Brian with an I and then as usual go follow uh, College Acapella on Facebook Twitter and Instagram awesome and everyone you can find me in the same place at John Lampus on Twitter and Instagram J-O-H-N L-A-M-P-U-S even more important follow Acaville Radio on all the social medias Instagram Twitter Facebook uh, check out our website Acaville.org where we're streaming music all the time and the last part make sure to check out Tacapella's individual Twitter we are at Tacapella it was really lucky that that wasn't taken but at the same time makes sense and uh, follow us on Twitter go on our website at talkapella.org where we post all of our episodes let us know what you thought about today's episode learning about this stuff from Decapella all about Charlie's really illustrious career what do you think about sound engineers did you know that a technical rehearsal was different than a sound check let us know your thoughts because we're always looking to engage with our listeners send in questions comments anything you feel like or just say hi all right everyone that's it for Tacapella this week. Charlie, thanks again for coming on so, so much. It was just great. Thank you guys very Sweet. much. Sweet. All right. This is it for this week's episode of Tacapella from me, Brian, and Charlie. But for everything Acapella, please stay tuned. <laughs>